Okay, so we've been going into the Four Noble Truths in more depth here, in this middle scope of practice. Okay, so remember in the middle scope, or the middle for the, the practice of the middle level practitioner, the motivation is to free oneself from cyclic existence and attain liberation. In order to free ourselves from cyclic existence, then we have to see its disadvantages, which are the first two noble truths, the truth of undesirable experiences and the truth of their causes. And then to free ourselves, we have to know how to do it and what we're aiming for, which are the last two noble truths, true cessation and true path. Okay? So that whole discussion that we just finished reviewing on the different disturbing attitudes, that was talking very specifically about the true cause, what is seen as the real cause of all of our undesirable experiences. Okay, do you have a picture? Know where we are? Um, so, if you look on your outline, there's just a small point there about the order of the development. Actually, we did that already, didn't we? And we did the causes of the disturbing attitudes. So now we're on um, D, the disadvantages of the disturbing attitudes. Okay? So remembering all these different disturbing attitudes that we've just talked about and recognizing that everything we talked about is a description of our own mind and seeing it as that. Then to really get very clear in our own mind why it's important to apply the antidote to these disturbing attitudes. Okay? Because first when our um, when these attitudes, these disturbing attitudes are active in our mind, our mind gets very cloudy, very confused, very disoriented. Um, I mean, you can see that very clearly, you know. I mean, when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're proud, you know, the mind's confused, it's disoriented, it's not in tune with the situation. And so as a, as a result, our relationships with other people suffer from it. And if we look, you know, all, all the times when we have problems with other people, or that when nations have problems with each other, or groups in society have problems, you can see the disturbing attitudes working. They're the chief motivators, the chief things behind all the, the different conflicts that we find between people or groups of people. Um, the disturbing attitudes are what ruin our ethical behavior. You know, they're the things that motivate us to get involved in the ten destructive actions. And so thus they become the things that are the cause for our guilt. You know, whenever we feel guilt or remorse or we feel psychologically immobilized or we hate ourselves, you know, so often if we trace it back, it has to do with different things that we've said or done or thought or felt that we feel quite ashamed of. Yeah? And these things are usually things that have to do with the disturbing attitudes. I've asked some psychologists about this, you know, because they see the disturbing attitudes as having faults, too, you know. Um, you know, mostly, you know, anger, resentment, things like that, the psychologists work with. Um, 
they don't see it so much as something to be removed completely from the root as Buddhists do. They're just trying to basically get people to have um, quote quote normal, which uh, levels of attachment and aversion. Yeah, which from a, a Buddhist viewpoint, any attachment and aversion is abnormal. You know, in the sense that normal means you know our full capabilities. Um, so the psychologists see that some of the disadvantages of the disturbing attitudes, but they don't try and eliminate them completely, and I don't think they understand the deep level of the disadvantages. Because um, and when I've asked psychologists if they talk about ethics with their clients, they say no. You know? And so it, more in psychology, it's, well, let's work with your guilt and, you know, get people to talk about their guilt and do things like that. But they're not seeing... So clearly, clearly it seems like, or many psychologists are saying, the relationship between guilt and um, disturbing attitudes. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, and guilt and bad ethics. Because a lot, you know, it's true, often we feel guilty for things that aren't our responsibility. And that's one kind of guilt, yeah. And there we have a disturbing attitude of hatred towards ourselves involved when we take responsibility for things that aren't. Another kind of guilt that we suffer from is when we have made a mistake, but then we kind of beat ourselves over the head because of our mistake and, and don't forgive ourselves. And so there I think it's real helpful if we see that what makes us do the mistake in actions are the disturbing attitudes. And so if we put some energy into keeping our ethics clearer, we would make fewer mistakes, we would have less guilt. Yeah? And it, it's real clear, you know, um, and just especially I mean, when I look really speech things, you know, because speech is a very top, can be an incredibly powerful weapon to harm people with. And it can do a lot of damage with it. And then afterwards feel really kind of bad, like, why in the world did I say that to somebody? And, you know, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I said that. You know, how did I make the other person feel? And when we look back, you know, over the years, the different things we've said to different people, sometimes it's pretty horrific. You know, and then we carry around inside of ourselves this kind of malalaise from those things. And so here I think it's really important to recognize that that malalaise, that kind of uncomfortable or guilty feeling, is coming because of, of our unethical conduct. You know, if we got our ethics more together, then there, we wouldn't feel guilty about things. You know? And then also, if we were able to discriminate what was our responsibility and what wasn't, we wouldn't feel guilty about things. And if we understood purification practices, then we could free ourselves also from the guilt, you know, that has been accumulating. So I think Dharma has a lot, you know, kind of just the ethical practice of any religion has a lot to do with our psychological state, our ability to to avoid harming others, and then our ability to purify it when we do. Yeah. It relates a lot to um, our self-image and our psychological 
So when we aren't careful about these disturbing attitudes, then our ethics decline. And then it's very easy to start spiraling into a thing of judging ourselves and guilt and, you know, all this other garbage that we keep on top of the regular garbage. You know, we kind of invest our garbage so we we create more. Yeah. But is it when, when you invest the capital and then you pay off the interest? Yeah. Or you get, you accumulate the interest. That's kind of what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so all of that whole process is the functioning of various disturbing attitudes. Yeah. So that's, and, you know, as, as we come to understand this, then this gives us some energy to start to apply the antidote when these things arise and to note them when they arise instead of just kind of being lackadaisical. Also, you know, other disadvantages of the disturbing attitudes is that when we're under their influence, we harm ourselves and we harm others, you know. So when there are times when we inflict harm to ourselves, either physical harm or mental harm, you know, it's motivated by the disturbing attitudes. When we harm other beings, often, you know, also, it's motivated by the disturbing attitudes. And so you look at... You know, if you study history or, or sociology or, you know, all these things, when you look at the role that the disturbing attitudes has played in creating what the human experience is, it's just incredible. You know, it takes the disturbing attitudes of one, you know, one person in a position of power to set the whole world upside down. Yeah. I mean, you look at the guy in Serbia, how do you say his name? Yeah, him. And, you know, and you see when you have pride and resentment and attachment, you know, and, yeah, love for power, and you have this lack of, you know, the inconsideration for others and the lack of self-respect, you know, when you have all those, and you have power, then you get other people all involved in, in your whole trip, you know, and cause so much harm to others, um, destroy the happiness of so many people's lives, and then create so much negative karma oneself that then perpetuates, you know, suffering in future lives. So the disturbing attitudes, are, you know, they're, they're really a bum deal. Think about it. You know, they're really so good. Because, you know, why is it that we aren't Buddhas right now? Yeah? I mean, Shakyamuni Buddha has started out exactly like us, you know, completely full of confusion and garbage and stuff. How come Shakyamuni's a Buddha and we aren't? You know, we used to all hang out on the beach together. How come he became a Buddha and we didn't? Well, we kept staying and hanging out at the beach. And he went and meditated, you know. <laughs> what? He gave up chocolate, yeah. <laughs> he didn't. We went out and bought it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that's the only thing. It's the, the disturbing attitudes that are the chief impediment uh, on the path to enlightenment. So, if we can, um, you know, gather together all of our resources and our courage to combat these things, then um, we can become Buddhas without too much difficulty. Yeah. 
I mean, when you look, what is it? There's no inherent defect in us that prevents us from becoming a Buddha. It's basically the disturbing attitudes, the karma that are the result of them, and the subtle stains that they've left on our mind. Besides that, there's no other reason we are Buddha. Yeah? But, if we can get rid of these disturbing attitudes, I mean, then the whole thing starts to crumble. Yeah? And then we can, you know, finally arrive at some kind of state of, of real security and really real lasting peace instead of just spinning around in our confusion. And so that's why in Bodhicharya Vatara, um, Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life by Shantideva, he taught, and I hope to teach that sometime, it's an incredible text, um, but he talks a lot about um, enemies and what the real enemy is in, in our life. And Shantideva says that, you know, usually we're so terrified of the rapist or the murderer or the, you know, the, the assaultant. We're terrified of those people. They are our real enemies and we'll do anything to protect ourselves from their, their very horrible influence. But he says, those people just harm us this lifetime. You know, if they kill you, they just kill you once. Yeah, and you give up this body and then that's it. That's all the harm they do. Or if they rape you, they just do it and then it's finished, you know. Or if they steal something, they mug you, you know, it's done and it's finished. And it's, you know, some harm for a limited amount of time this lifetime and then it's over. Yeah. And yet we regard these other sentient beings as these, it's so evil, so, they're so, um, you know, such an enemy to be destroyed and feared. And yet the disturbing attitudes, Shantideva says, are actually, they cause us much more harm. Okay? Because under the influence of the disturbing attitudes, that's what makes, that's what causes us to be in every single suffering situation we encounter in our life. So the outside enemy may harm us one time, but our own disturbing attitudes make us create the karma so that we find ourselves in suffering miserable situation and confusion again and again and again and again throughout our whole lives. And not just this lifetime, but future lifetimes and past lifetimes. And so all these different problems that we've experienced, you know, all the traumas we've gone through, all the things that we could experience in future lives, the different, you know, horrific things, they all come from the disturbing attitudes. And so the disturbing attitudes, when you look at it this way, they're much more an, an enemy and the nemesis than anything else could possibly be. They cause us much harm than any other sentient being. Yeah. And so it's so peculiar that when we have an external enemy, another sentient being who harms us, we try and destroy that person, you know, because we see how harmful they are. And yet they're just another sentient being, and they're going to die anyway, whether we harm them or not, whether we kill them or not. But we put so much energy into killing them, you know, and stopping them. You know, they're going to die anyway sometime or another. But the disturbing attitudes, which have caused us much more harm, you know, of greater intensity over a longer period of time, those, when they come, 
you know, let alone kick out and, and try and kill. We don't even do that. We just kind of welcome them in. Oh, attachment? Oh, come, please, you know, come on in. This is good. I feel good when I have attachment. Oh, anger? Oh, yes, come in, my friend. I get a real adrenaline buzz off of you. I feel very powerful. Oh, pride? Oh, yeah, come on in. You're a good buddy. I feel really good and, you know, in control of things when I'm proud. And so we just kind of welcome in all these disturbing attitudes, which are the real thing that cause us pain. Yeah. So Shanti Deva says, actually, we have the whole thing totally upside down. Yeah. The sentient beings, there's no reason to harm them and retaliate when they harm. Because, well, they're going to die anyway. Yeah. And the harm they caused us anyway wasn't so great compared to the disturbing attitudes, which cause us much greater harm, and they're not going to die anyway. Okay. In other words, our disturbing attitudes, you know, they they, ha they bribe the visa officials completely. You know, they go anywhere they want to. You know, they 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 don't get turned back at the border of a country. Even when we die, they come with us. Yeah. And so that's why these are the things to really look at and see as, um, you know, what harms us in our lives. Because if we free ourselves from the disturbing attitudes, the internal enemies, then we have no external enemies. Yeah? <laughs> so, I mean, where do all the external enemies come from? They come from our own negative karma. If we didn't have negative karma, nobody would try and hurt us. Yeah? If we didn't have nobody, uh, negative karma, nobody could hurt us. Yeah? If we didn't have ignorance in our mind, even somebody beat us up, we wouldn't feel pain. Yeah? So the whole reason that other people try and harm us is because of our karma that we created under the influence of our disturbing attitudes. The whole reason we feel pain from anything, whether somebody's trying to harm us or not, because often we feel pain even when nobody's trying to harm us, the whole reason that comes Again, it's from our karma, from our disturbing attitudes, from our ignorance. Yeah. So if we were able to free ourselves from these things, then, this, then we're totally impermeable to any kind of harm. There's, there, you know, there becomes no external enemies. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's really quite incredible. Yeah. And we can see that sometimes. Um, you know, you can see kind of psychologically how the whole thing works. When we're hung up on something, you know, we project it on somebody else, and whether they mean it or not, they appear to be trying to harm us. Yeah? Or we develop difficulties or problems or issues with somebody, you know, based on what's going on inside of us. And they become just kind of, some some representative or some poor being who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah? And because I think we've all had the experience with 
Um, and we definitely have the experience where we haven't had a bad intention towards somebody else, and yet somebody else has been really hurt and harmed by, by what we've done, and they've completely taken it the wrong way. Well, we do the exact same thing, so other people don't even intend to hurt us. We totally, you know, because we're so involved in projecting all of our garbage on them, we receive pain even though they didn't even intend any. Yeah. And so that's why I say if, there, if there's no inner enemy of the disturbing attitude, then nobody outside could possibly hurt, whether they intend to or whether they don't intend to. Because yeah. even if they intended to, if we didn't have attachment and anger in these things, we wouldn't get so upset and bent out of shape. You know, but, and instead, compassion would rise in, in our mind um, in confront of the harm they were giving us. It's really something to think deeply about, you know. And when we do, when we really go over this again and again, you know, and it's, it's quite effective to meditate on this, you know, and do the analytical checking meditation and just sit there and, you know, and I mean, think of how terrible a, you know, a murderer or an assault and a mugger or a rapist is, you know. Think of like just how, how fearful, how evil, how awful that kind of thing is. And yet, how that's, you know, the harm that that person gives us is nothing compared to the harm of our disturbing attitude. And that that's just some poor sentient being, you know, who will suffer in return, who dies. Our disturbing attitudes don't even experience any harm when they come back. Yeah. And so if we think like that, then some kind of awareness comes inside and some kind of really strong feeling that, ooh, this is serious business, you know. This is, is not joking stuff. And I've really, first of all, got to be attentive to see when the disturbing attitudes rise in my mind. And second of all, I've got to really start applying the antidotes and, and stop being lackadaisical about the whole thing. And so this kind of meditation then gives us a lot of kind of energy and courage to, to really work with our mind. And then, of course, as soon as we start doing that, then we change. Yeah. I mean, as soon as we start practicing, we change. I think one of the big reasons that we don't change is that we don't really practice. Yeah? <sighs> because when you practice, you know, I mean, you might not become Buddha by tomorrow, but there is definitely some change. Yeah? Something happens. Uh, at some kind of level that you can feel. But I think one reason is that, you, you know, we say, well, you know, I've been going and listening to teachings and I've been doing all this stuff for so long and I haven't changed. But, but then we have to ask, have we really practiced? In other words, when we get angry, have we really tried to apply the, the antidotes to it? And have we practiced the antidotes to anger when we weren't angry so that we could get familiar with them and try them out? Yeah. When we're attached, have we, you know, have we ever really applied the antidote? Or do we just kind of, you know, we're not even aware of our attachment until finally the situation gets really painful and then we go, oh, it's my attachment. But then even then do we apply the antidote? So I think, you know, sometimes if, if we just kind of 
fine-tune things a little bit more and recognize the disturbing attitude, apply the antidote, practice the antidotes during this checking meditation. Yeah. Thinking, and when I say checking meditation, it's nothing more than thinking about what you're hearing now. You know, making examples in your mind, explaining it to yourself. You know, if you do that, then something starts to change. Okay. So, um, other disadvantages of the disturbing attitude. Um, they're also what destroy our self-confidence and our self-respect. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of clear, isn't it, when, when our mind's just real confused and full of junk, it's hard for us to feel confident, it's hard for us to respect ourselves. So, this is, you know, a disadvantage of the disturbing attitude. And in addition, it, it, you know, certain of the disturbing attitudes, they really impede our good karma. They impede us from creating good karma. And if we have created it, they impede it from ripening. Yeah. So the, they decrease our positive potential, thereby decreasing our happiness now and in the future. And they impede the development of our wisdom. And so that's, you know, quite a major block, um, you know, with libera- between us and liberation. Okay. So it, I think it's really, really productive to spend time going over and thinking very clearly about these disadvantages of the disturbing attitude. And I just kind of outline them, you know. Like it impedes our wisdom, it reduces our self-confidence, it reduces our positive potential, you know. It makes us feel guilty, it makes the mind cloudy, it makes us harm others, it makes us, you know, our, our ethics decrease. But go back, you know, and when you go home, you know, all these points, sit and think about them, you know, and explain to yourself, well, why does it make my ethics go down? How does that work? Yeah. Why does it make me lose respect for myself? How does that work? Yeah. And really try and understand through your own life experience how these things work. Yeah. So you're kind of thinking it's like it's like you're explaining things to yourself. Yeah. When you're meditating and doing the checking meditation. So if you can explain it to yourself. Then it becomes very, it becomes much easier to explain it to other people when they ask you questions. And one person, you know, told me that what he does uh, when when he does the checking meditation like this is he pretends like he's explaining it to his mother. Yeah, because he tries to just think about it in really simple terms, you know, and really something logical, grounded, you know, simple, and kind of explaining it, you know, so you're having like an internal dialogue with yourself. Yeah. Explaining it, you can think you're explaining it to your mother, or it thinks like you're explaining it to your friend, you know, or you're explaining it to yourself or whatever. And then, you know, the understanding really grows and deepens. Yeah. And you get some kind of feeling from the meditation. Yeah, so it's not just kind of intellectually, oh yeah, the disturbing attitude, maybe this, 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 this,
it's not like that, you know. You really kind of mull it over and, you know, look at your own life and think about it. Sometimes incredibly strong experiences can come this way, you know. Really strong feelings in your heart. Okay. So that's talking a little bit about the disadvantages of the disturbing attitudes. 